chance to assemble here in the meditation hall to reaffirm our practice. Refuge in Buddha Dhamma Sangha. Yesterday is the memory. Tomorrow is the unknown. In these retreats now, a lot of the, the reflections on just personal feeling and what one feels like as a somebody or as a person, as an individual, as monk or nun, an agarika. We contemplate this sense of me and my feelings. The Vedana, the identification with Vedana, Sanya, Sankara, so kind of insidious. We usually get offended or get carried away by the sense of being this very, these feelings that we have. There's the ability to know, know it, isn't there? There's to objectify. That's why we have to take it, take this and contemplate, put it in that position of an object, me and my feelings. I've been hurt or I feel offended or people don't understand me or People don't like me, or, or I'm somebody that should be respected. Whatever way it goes, there's a certain emotional quality to it that we tend to easily believe in and follow, either or repress. right now just just contemplate this sense of me and my feelings what I feel like my the sense of me and mine How many of you live in that world a lot of just your feelings and your emotions? 
spend the day in wallowing in, in that sense of being something, some kind of feeling. Feeling hurt, feeling happy, feeling confused, up and down, bored, fed up, disillusioned, inspired. Then the way we keep looking for happiness in this realm of desire, uh, desire is always looking for something. And the, the, the nature of desire is to always be going for something. So that when one is following desires, one is always in this process of becoming, trying to get hold of something, find something to grasp, hold up. One is so caught into the momentum of desire, so used to it, that even when there's, it just becomes habitual, just a continuous kind of aimless, restless grasping going on of anything. Now to see see this in this the Buddha knowing the Dhamma <clears throat> to, to reflect on the, on this being the knowing that that which knows this this these feelings as feelings is that the same as the feelings? There's this knowing, isn't it? There is this feeling, there are these feelings. They, they're like this. Whatever way I'm feeling right now, it's this way. <coughs> and to, to contemplate in this way, you have to stop grasping the feelings. You have to recognize them as for what they are, but not but then there's non-grasping of them. Grasping, the upadana is through ignorance, and so one is grasping feelings, and becoming that way, becoming somebody who is upset, offended, confused, inspired, depressed, Feeling is is uh, something that 
we're not suppressing, but we're we're letting we're not identifying with it. And that's the difference. So if we suppress we and then we just we refuse to feel things. We we uh, build up blocks and obstacles to feeling. And that's that's not Buddha seeing Dhamma, that's just uh, indulging in fear and in uh, repression. Because feeling is uh, something to to understand. It's sensitivity, it's being able to respond properly to time and place, to a situation. You notice, like, say, with situations that arise during this retreat, which requires some kind of lovely response, or just suppression of your feelings, or indulging in your feelings. So say somebody with a good heart and a generous compassionate nature isn't indulging in emotion. It's not a kind of uh, personal, uh, it's not identification with feeling, but being able to, to, have, to use warmth and love, kindness, generosity in, as responses to situations. Where it becomes uh, selfish is where we, we're kind in order to get some kind of appreciation back, get some reward. Where we do things, they are, when we're, we're serving others, helping others, it's in order to, to get praise or to get somebody's respect or be appreciated, or because we feel dutiful, or we must do this. But uh, we're not really doing it from a sense of real compassion. The heart is not, has not been liberated. There's still either the, the self-view of me doing it, me being kind, me doing this for you, me uh, being this way in order to get something back for myself. Like compassion, karuna, metta karuna, munditu peka are spontaneous responses from the heart. This is the beauty of our life, isn't it? It's divine abode divine qualities manifesting. It's not me trying to be good, or me trying to get attention, or me trying to get praise, or me being dutiful, doing my, doing my duty. So this, 
reflection of Buddha uh, knowing the Dhamma, isn't I'm not asking you to just be a kind of cold objective, to be cold and objective about things. Because that's not, that's, not, that's not refuge in Buddha, Dhamma, Sangha. That's just me trying to not feel anything or just see feeling as, as an object through, a, through a, an idea that that's a refuge. It's not a real refuge. But we're in a feeling, uh, a, a loving, benevolent, universal system. There's these tremendous forces of love, compassion, affecting us. We're very, the human form is, can be brutal and callous, reptilian, cold-hearted, selfish, dull and stupid. We can be just stupid, can't we? Not feel anything, not care, insensitive. We can be idealistic, get caught up in everything should be a certain way, and then we get, become critical. All the monks and nuns should be perfectly loving, compassionate beings. And when they're not, I'm just fed up with them. And they don't live up to my standards. When the world isn't the way I want it to be, and that's, that's idealism, isn't it? Attachment to ideas, that's not compassion. And that's not loving kindness or joy. Being dutiful, another one. I must be loyal and dutiful and obey and all this kind of, it's still a sense of self involvement. So one does one's duty and obeys all the rules and, and fits in, doesn't cause any problems, but still that's, that's not compassion, is it? Or love. It's still very much a repression of the heart, living according to ideas, oftentimes fear-conditioned, <coughs> obeying the rules because you're afraid of being criticized, or you want to keep an order, you want everything to fit into a nice little ordered world that you can control. So that there's always a me trying to, to control everything through rules and holding, holding things together, trying to keep it all together. 
stay on the level of emotional relationships with people. I mean, that's the reason why they tend to be so much suffering is because they are coming from demands and expectations, dependencies, emotional props. This is uh, that whole world of, of just uh, hanging on to somebody. I need you and you've got to help me. That's the sense of me being somebody who wants something or wants to be somebody. He wants to be the, the one to be the authority, be the expert. I must be the one who has all the answers or the one that gives the orders or the one that, that uh, is in the position of uh, of uh, being compassionate to you. Or we can shift into just being the one that needs to be understood and loved by somebody else. We, we oftentimes think in these terms of what somebody needs is just love. Somebody's had an unf miserable childhood and all they need is love these kind of simplistic answers. Uh, the human heart, when it's freed from desire and fear, then it is its natural response to a situation is love. It's a, it's a spontaneous, it's spontaneity. But when it's bound by desire and fear, then of course it's, it's, it, it may be, uh, creates artificial kinds of love, sentiment and all kinds of attachments and clinging qualities and demands. This is the sticky web of emotions, this kind of nastiness of being caught in emotional blackmail and demand, expectation, dependency, game playing. This we can see in ourselves how we tend to, we not, not, not always in, you know, with deliberate intention conscious intent. It's oftentimes how we've just learned to react, the way we're programmed and conditioned to react to situations. So this is where the Buddha seeing the Dhamma isn't, is uh, we, be, we begin to see these things rather than judge them. Recognizing what is a, a skillful response to a situation and what isn't. We have the 
when we're using wisdom, then we can learn from our lives. We can, we, we uh, can admit and honestly look at the way it is, as we're at the way we tend to react to life, not from the position of a critic or a judge, but recognition of that this is a result, result in karma. And, the, and we can see what is, what is of benefit, what is pure, what is good, and what is merely uh, reactive, habitual, selfish, deluded kind of reactions. The ability to know that in there, this, this, this wisdom faculty. Wisdom is the ability to know the truth. But it's not admitting on a, a kind of personal faults and failures. It's not, I'm, I'm this kind of a person, I shouldn't be this way, or to hate oneself for having immature reactions to life. That's not wisdom, that's still the interpretation of feeling from this idea that one is a person and that one should be a certain way or shouldn't be a certain way. Like with men, I think men are very proud. One of the big obstacles, one of the masculinity factor is uh, pride. That we can be, we've learned this kind of powerful pride that we have to identify and know it for what it is. The Buddha seeing the Dhamma, You can see it in the Gulf crisis, just the, the masculine, let's say it's a really masculine war. It's, uh, it's very, it's the kind of penultimate in male kind of digging in your heels and not budging out of pride. I'm not going to let you get me fight to the end like two two bulls locked I never understood that I saw that when I was up in Scotland one time the image of two bulls in a in a paddock with locked horns Tanva Parker and I went to the Sancta Maria Abbey in Nunra Cistercian 
monastery for a weekend out in the field near the abbey where there are these two huge uh, muscular bulls, really solid-looking masses of, you know, powerful bodies, locked horns, and they said that there's no way you could unlock them. And they'll just, they can't eat, they can't do anything. They just, they're just locked in this, in this stalemate till they die. Usually they can't have two bulls in the same pasture. They've got to separate them because... <laughs> so those are the kind of forces, isn't it, uh, that we, we can identify with those images. Definitely, I, I can. I can see that kind of stubborn pride in myself. Not, not, some, not a quality a condition that I can honestly say I have none of. <laughs> I can understand uh, those bulls in a way. I mean, even though it's an utterly stupid thing to do, I can understand how it happens. If you're stuck in that, in that state, if that's all you, if that's where you are and where that's all you see, then that, that's all you can do. And just dig in your heels and keep pushing. But the Buddha seeing the Dhamma is one can transcend that state. One can see that the the tendencies, the uh, that kind of uh, tendency in oneself, or the desire to do it, or the kind of emotional. Uh, power that that would compel one into that position, one can observe that. That's the reflective mind, the Buddha mind that that contemplates the conditioned realm. When I stayed, one, one year I spent a Vasa in a place in Chonbury called Wat Kautila. And there was, uh, and it was, and this Wat has famous for having all these dogs. They take in uh, stray dogs. They had over 30 dogs in this place. And the, the place, uh, Chonbury is a very kind of wealthy area of Thailand, so it they have uh, so much food given to the monastery, and the monks distribute this food to all these dogs because there's so much left over. And it was used to be considered that the dogs at Wat Kauchilak had better diet than the monks at Wat Bapong, because <coughs> the food in Chonbri was very delicious. 
Uh, you could only eat so much food, and that was it. <coughs> and you had all this piled of it, <coughs> of these nicely prepared things that they give to the dogs. It's true. The dogs at Wakachanak had better food than Watapong. Watapong was famous for having the worst food in the world. <coughs> it was was my consolation of living at Wat Bapong for so many years was that no matter where I went, the food couldn't possibly any, be any worse than that. That's true. <laughs> but one, uh, there was this, uh, because of all these dogs, you couldn't, uh, you began to, uh, I just started watching their behavior. You could get in too involved with all these dogs. And dogs uh, in, in uh, groups like that are quite interesting because in many ways you, you've seen how they, they organize themselves, how there is a, a, such a thing as a top dog and an underdog. These aren't just, these are, these are actually the way it is in the dog world. And, most of us know dogs just as having one, a pet dog, but a society of dogs is something else. Then during the mating season, it was horrendous. I've never saw anything so utterly horrible than dogs mating. And uh, it is... Uh, terrible thing to have to listen to and, and hear and watch. <clears throat> then after the mating season, the, <clears throat> the, then, the, then the bitches have their puppies. And there was <clears throat> all these <clears throat> bitches <clears throat> with their litters. And there was one bitch that was uh, a killer. I didn't know this at the time. She, she didn't have puppies. She, she couldn't have puppies anymore, but she was always jealous of the, of the bitches that had puppies. She was a, a real bitch. <laughs> in the pejorative meaning of that word. She was a killer. And what she'd do is she'd go around and kill the puppies of the other bitches. She's so jealous. And so one day, I didn't know this at the time, but what brought my attention to this dog was that um, under my kuti, there was a, there was this scene going on of there was a, an older female dog that couldn't have puppies anymore. But she wanted to have puppies. But she wasn't a killer. She wasn't uh, that kind of a dog. But her daughter was a bit stupid. And the daughter had a litter of puppies. But the daughter was really quite a stupid dog. And so the granny, grandmother would, 
would chase the, her daughter away and she'd take the, the daughter's puppies, but she couldn't nurse them because she didn't have any milk. But she'd lay under my cootie, surrounded by these hungry little puppies trying to, trying to feed them. And then I'd have to go in, chase her away, drag the, her daughter, who was really stupid and frightened bitch, pull her in under the cootie to feed the little puppies. As soon as I'd go away, then the grandmother would come running in, chase the, her daughter away. And this was uh, getting caught up in the life of these stupid dogs. That's <laughs> how I was spending the Vasa. <laughs> I could understand why Ajahn Chah wouldn't allow dogs at Wat Bapong. You get too involved with them. So then one day I heard this terrible noise out and I, w I went out on the porch and there was Granny uh, fighting with this, with this killer bitch. And, uh, and they were going at it just, just like I never saw anything so fierce. This Granny, this old dog, was just, uh, you know, no way you could stop her. She was determined to kill this killer, killer dog which I didn't know at the time. I thought, why is Granny so upset? This is really... So I went out and I tried to stop it, you know, and I, and I realized I couldn't. I mean, uh, it was just uh, totally impossible that they were at each other's throats. Somehow the, the killer dog got away, and, uh, and I was quite, uh, quite upset. I thought, why did Granny act like that? That wasn't a very nice way to behave. So I went and told some monks, some of the Thai monks about it, and they said, oh, well, it's that, that dog, that killer, that, that dog is a killer bitch. She goes around trying to kill the puppies. So Granny was just trying to protect the puppies, her grand, grand puppies. <laughs> now we can understand all that, can't we? It's uh, those kind of feelings are not uh, you know, feelings just dogs have. Say the mother fighting to protect her children. Or the, the killer bitch, the, 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 the being that's gone wild, that just hates and, and can't stand uh, any other Galaxy, hard to say, is something we can, we can relate to. It's part of our human experience. It's part also of the dog world, of the mammalian life and the qualities of masculinity, femininity. These are, these are very much conditions that, that we have to deal with, with pride, aggressiveness, like men have a we have to deal with with this very aggressive nature, wanting to dominate. Because that's the, the karma of masculinity. And a strong masculine nature, where masculinity is very strong, is a very, very natural 
a kind of tendency towards domineering, domination, fighting, aggressiveness. But this can be seen uh, in this in this uh, paradigm of the Buddha seeing the Dhamma, because masculinity is not self. Is not what one is. Or aggressiveness, or desire to dominate, or pride and conceit, stubbornness, can be witnessed and admitted, but not admitted on the personal plane, like saying, I'm this way, but there is this. There is this tendency in me to be stubborn or to be proud to be aggressive, to want to dominate others. You see the difference between I am this way and there is this tendency. And this is this this to develop this reflective way of thinking takes it out of the the uh, way your mind conditioned to, to think about it on the personal plane because I'm a, I'm too aggressive I shouldn't be and the whole the whole uh, kind of whirlpool of self views and attitudes and feelings overwhelm your mind. I can't help it, it's just my nature, what can I do, I shouldn't, I should, not fair, I don't like, I don't know. He goes on and on and on, on the personal plane, sense of me, the personality of, with my problems and my feelings. But the, the Buddha, seeing the Dhamma, the, even the way one's thinking needs to change to an acknowledgement of these conditions there is this tendency, or this tendency, there is this, this condition of pride, stubbornness, or aggressiveness, or desire to dominate. There is this. And that way, there's, a, there's honesty, recognition, understanding possible to transcend, not be caught in suppression or indulgence. With the um, pictures, with the litters, one thing I noticed was that some of them were, uh, you know, really uh, not some, not what Kautzelar with it other monasteries in the northeast I say that where they were quite didn't get very much to eat. These uh, mothers were so patient with all these little puppies at them all the time wanting to suckle. And these scrawny uh, bitches, there's hardly any anything left to them, always giving to their puppies. And when they could they kind of creep away and try to find a grain of rice or something to eat. Some of them were really, you know, skeletons. And yet there's always this 
giving to their puppies. Meaning that then the and the puppies are eager to to nurse on their mother, who is obviously totally exhausted. So she sees this this maternal quality also of of giving. Uh, that one oftentimes sees in women a willingness to keep giving, nurturing, even when they're totally worn out and exhausted. So this is like compassion. Um, it's Avalokiteshvara, I mean, constantly giving, serving, nurturing, helping, is uh, oftentimes presented as a female because I don't, I don't think men tend to to uh, our inclinations aren't that way on the on the plane of masculinity as an ideal, maybe, but as a tendency, uh, it's, uh, one doesn't, uh, doesn't find oneself in, the, in, in that, in that, inclining towards that, the nurturing, continuous giving, nurturing uh, others is not a, not a, natural uh, part of masculine condition. But we can appreciate the idea where I noticed the male dogs didn't seem to appreciate at all the bitches nurturing their puppies. Once the male dogs after the mating season was over, they could care less about any of the bitches. During the mating season, they cared a lot about them. But after that, they could care less. And so the, the bitches had to the, kind of take care of their puppies on their own. The male dogs were not, you know, would even just chase them away. These kind of haggard, scrawny bitches trying to get a grain of rice, and big male dog would come up and just chase her away. Couldn't think. Well, she's got to feed these puppies. She's the mother of my puppies. I must look after her. That's not part of the dog's life. But in the human realm, we can reflect like that, can't we? We can think. Human men can think this woman uh, has to take care of her children. I must protect her or help her uh, do this. This is, our this is due to the ability to reflect, contemplate the way things are. It's like the, uh, the golden rule, do unto others as you would have others do unto you. It's a, it's a reflective teaching, isn't it?
What does? How do I want others to treat me? And then you start thinking. I remember my mother saying that when I was a child. Would you, if I was doing something not very nice, or being, you know, being cruel or being bad, she say, "How would you like somebody to treat you like that?" I wouldn't like that. That's reflection, isn't it? I wouldn't want to be treated like that. So then I mustn't treat somebody else like that. Let's say the kind of instinctual nature doesn't reflect. So when, when you're just caught on the level of instinct and uh, habit, then of course one is, one doesn't, doesn't even notice anyone else. It's just what I can get for myself. And if you're in my way, get out of my way. And if I going to, if you're convenient for me, or I need you to do something, then I use you and then discard you accordingly. That's the the totally selfish, unreflective being. Just survival of the fittest, the, the law of the jungle. But notice these, these higher qualities uh, are the divine qualities of the Brahma-viharas, the metta-karuna-mudita-upeka. Metta, to be, to be cultivated as a way of responding to, to what we don't like and the pain and the unpleasantness of life. We take metta and we, we, we take this idea of metta, of loving-kindness, and emphasize how to, to bear with, endure, and, and uh, be patient with that, those conditions that especially we don't like or don't want. It doesn't take patient endurance to, to put up with things that we like. So we, we, it, it's not difficult to have loving-kindness for, for, uh, for the pleasant and the beautiful and the sweet and the pretty and the good and that which pleases, that which is attractive, pleases us. So metta very much is dealing with negativity and unpleasantness and pain unfairness, injustice within ourselves and without. To love your enemy uh, is uh, in the Christian term, to love the enemy. An interesting reflection, isn't it? Because uh, loving your enemy, what? how can we love the enemy? How can we love Saddam Hussein? nasty old man. He's been parading those, these captured uh, POWs, British, American, French, and that, that 
uh, on it on uh, Iraqi televisions. So they see the see these rather bruised and beat up POWs from the Alliance. And they're made to say things like, stop this war with Iraq and all that. And the, the, it infuriates everyone. The West it makes everyone ang more angry because of the callousness and stupidity and insensitivity of Saddam Hussein. We should kill him. Get the CIA in there in Baghdad and wipe him out. Let the Israelis have a go in their super, uh, what do you call it, Mossad secret organizations. They'll get in there. The CIA is pretty hopeless, but the Israelis got this almost invincible intelligence service. They should have gotten him long ago. Saddam Hussein is a pretty wily character, obviously. Survivor knows how to survive in the jungle. A killer animal that knows how to survive in the in the jungle. How do you have meta for somebody like that? How do you say? How could you love somebody like that? So love, in in this sense. It's different thing than, than liking. It's not sentimental, not being not a kind of smarmy sentiment either. But contemplate what loving Saddam Hussein is as a as a say if if one is is going to put that into practice now, what is that anyway? How could you love somebody like that? or metta towards Saddam Hussein. What is the, what can you do the way you are, the kind of character you have? Maybe you're, maybe you tend to be a kind of easygoing person that, that uh, isn't terrible, doesn't have a lot of passions or strong feelings about it. Or maybe just the name Saddam Hussein brings, brings strong uh, anger into your mind. If you say Saddam is saying, that blasted so-and-so, they should draw and quarter him, burn him at the stake. Somebody like that deserves to die a horrible, painful death. Maybe you're that kind of a person. Or maybe you're, you're the more kind of idealistic person. We should always be kind. And we should always forgive everybody. And Saddam Hussein has his faults, yes. <laughs> He also have done a lot to help the Iraqi people, and, and he probably means well some of the time. And he doesn't beat his wife. Hitler was kind to dogs. <laughs> Maybe you're one of those kind of sen sentimental types. So learning to uh, to practice metta is to know your own character, to and to 
to not make it just a, a, a smarmy sentiment, but to, to, to learn how to bring it to a very practical uh, application of, say, being patient with something, or not dwelling on the ugliness or nastiness of Saddam Hussein, or even the, your own passions, your own not to, to have metta for yourself, means, in a, in a practical way, not to, not to indulge in self-criticism and self-hatred. Not to, not to, and that's having metta for yourself. It's not having sentimental thoughts of may I be happy, kind of, on a, the, just on the, on the ideal of, of uh, nice ideas about yourself. But on a practical uh, application of metta is not is to not dwell in aversion on something that you you hate or don't like, not to indulge in aversion. That's a, that's met, that's practical metta. With Saddam Hussein, not to dwell in anger and hatred on him doesn't mean you're going to have kind of sloppy, sentimental feelings about uh, may he be free from all suffering, may Saddam Hussein be happy, and that kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> that, that is, uh, it can sound rather silly. So your, so metta isn't, uh, isn't a kind of wishy-washiness and kind of bland, kind of buttermilk kind of color that you're painting everything, but it, it is you're really working with, uh, in a very practical way, with, uh, with the, the feelings of maybe passionate aversion, anger and hatred and indignation. So loving the enemy isn't a, a weak sentiment, but the determination not to, not to be malicious or take revenge, to be patient, to, to not dwell in, uh, in aversion on them, not to think about them in negative ways, to stop it, to stop thinking like that. And if the opportunity comes to do what is good, what is, what is kind, rather than what is mean, what is seeking, taking revenge on the enemy. <laughs>